Very good. Thank you, choir, for leading us this morning in worship. Let's give them a round of applause. That doesn't just happen. That comes with hours of practice. That comes with a commitment and a dedication to be here every other Sunday for two hours. And uh, we are very grateful to them and for all the effort that is made towards that. We this morning are in still our book of Jude. And I want to tell you, I was reading Jude again this week, and I realized something. that If we stopped at verse 16, Jude would be a very depressing book. It is a book that would tell us that the apostates are coming, their teaching is powerful, and we don't have very much hope. In fact, just look at me in the book of, not at me, but with me. You can look at me, but you won't be able to read with me. Um, let's look at the book of Jude, verse 16, where it says to us, These, talking about the apostates, are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. That's what an apostate does. But I love that Jude did not stop there, that Jude kept writing, because when we get to verse 17, he says, but you, everybody look and say, that's me. But you, that means that's me. And then he says, beloved. Now, beloved is an amazing phrase in Scripture that is used to identify those that have become followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you say, give me a contrast, okay? In another place in Scripture, it says, you who were formerly strangers and aliens and enemies of God. That's what we used to be. But at that moment that the amazing grace of Jesus Christ was spilled out on us, we went from strangers and aliens and enemies to the beloved followers of the Lord Jesus. It says we are joint heirs, that we are co-heirs. It says that we are children of God and that He calls us friend. So when we get there, He says, this is what I'm writing to you. And when the Bible talks to us, it says, apostates, that's what He's writing about up to verse 16, are people who, teach, who give false teaching. The doctrines of apostasy are the doctrines that deviate from the truth of Scripture. So he's written about apostates. He's written about the doctrines of apostasy. He says that, that for us, he said, I wanted to write to you in verse 3 about a common salvation. But when I began to write about all the things that we had in common and all the beauty of the Lord, he said, then it came upon me. In other words, the Holy Spirit living inside of Jude spoke and said, don't write about common salvation Write to them about contending for the faith, but you. So he did. He changed gears. And in verse 1 through 16, he says, this is what they look like. At verse 17, when he changes it to but you, the beloved, in verse 17, 18, and 19, he says, don't let apostates surprise you. 
He says, it's going to happen. It's going on. It's going on around you right now. He says, don't be surprised because one of the best ways to have a defense is to be on the offense to look and say, this is what's going to happen. He says, don't let it surprise you. And then he says to us in what we're going to look at today in verses 20, 21, 22, and 23, he says, don't let apostates stop you. You know what I'm talking about? That moment that you just feel like, you can't take that next step, that moment that you can't finish, that moment that you can't finish the drill. He says, be careful. Don't let it stop you. Don't let it surprise you. Don't let it stop you. And then next week, we're going to talk about do not let it stifle you. Don't let it stifle you. See what's going on. So how do we do that? He says in verses 20, 21, 22, and 23, let's read it together. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some, he says, have compassion, making a distinction. But others serve with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. If you could give me just a moment, we're going to stop and pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the moment. I thank you for the morning. God, there's distractions swirling around us. And Father, I pray that we would be able to set aside those things, trusting those that are at work. And God, that we would be able to put our focus on you. Give us laser-like attention to hear this word that Jude wrote that the Holy Spirit has preserved to instruct us how to live in the days of apostasy. Lord, we need a touch. We need a word. We need that theme. From you, God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So Jude says we're in the middle of apostasy. He says, don't be surprised by the apostates. And he says, don't let the apostates stop you. When he talks to us in that verses 20 through 23, there is a focal word there that I think we need to put our attention on. And it comes to us in verse 21. In fact, it's the first word in verse 21. He says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. He says, I want you to keep that. Now, up to this point, we know that Jude has told us that salvation does not come from us. Salvation is not what we do. Salvation is kept by God, but fellowship with God is kept by you. You need to hear that. That is a huge distinction in the Christian life. Salvation comes from God. It is the gift of God, the free gift of God, that all who believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. And the scripture says that once you are a child of God, that nothing, no created being, can snatch you out of the Father's hand. But once you're in the Father's hand, you have a relationship, but your fellowship can be affected by your obedience, your belief, your behavior. 
I am my father's child. I will always be my father's child. Even though he is dead and in heaven now, he is my daddy. But we don't have fellowship now because my father has passed from this life to the next life. So that's one way to understand broken fellowship. But there's also were days and times in my life when my father was alive that my dad and I did not have fellowship. He would say, here are the rules to live in my house. And I would say, I don't like the rules. And he would become angry. And he would discipline me. And he would correct me. And our relationship was the same, but our fellowship was broken in those moments. And for there to be a restoration of fellowship, I would have to come to my father and say, Daddy, I was wrong. Father, forgive me. I would have to put myself under his authority again. And when that would happen, I was blessed to have a very gracious dad who would restore me not only and maintain the fact that we had a relationship, but he would also let us have fellowship. And Paul, I mean, ooh, we did it again. Jude says here to us, keep yourself in the love of God. Looking for the mercy to us. Jude 1 says that we are preserved in Christ Jesus. You don't have to keep yourself in relationship, but you have to keep yourself in fellowship. Now when we say that, hear this here, when he says to us, keep yourselves in the love of God, what is he talking about? He's talking about the will of God, the purpose of God, the plan of God for your life. He is telling us to be diligent to seek Jesus, to seek Him out. You say, give me, a, give me something tangible to help me understand. I gave you my relationship with my father, but now let me give you the, rela- the relationship between the prodigal son and his father. The prodigal son walked to his daddy and said, Daddy, give me all my inheritance. The father looked at him and said, Here it is. I want you to have it. He took it and it says that he left and he squandered it. And when he squandered it, he began to live what the Bible says, low living. In other words, he was living below the level he was accustomed to. In fact, it tells us that he was a young man who was Jewish and he was living among the hogs. He woke up one day and he said, you know what? Even the people that work for my daddy have it better than I do. says that he packed up his stuff. He started running towards the house and he was going to say, Father, forgive me. But the scripture says that when he was a long way off, his dad saw him. And it says that he began to run to him. Relationship was always intact. Fellowship was broken. The father never wanted there to be broken fellowship. The son chose that. So listen to me. There are people in this room today, it could be when any one of us, that we could be prodigal Christians. You have a relationship with God. It's never going to change. But you've removed yourself from fellowship with God because you have decided that your way is better than God's way. Your choice is better than God's choice. Your plan is better than His plan. And we want to sanctify it with sweet words and we want it to look blessed and we sit in church. 
But the reality is, Scripture will always say to obey is better than sacrifice. And so for us today, as we're listening here to what Jude is writing, and he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. He's saying, keep yourself in the obedience to God. Keep yourself in the will of God. Keep yourself in the plan of God. Surrender your life to His plan. And then, as he begins to do that, he offers to us, I believe, four admonitions. Four ways to encourage us on how we can keep ourselves in the love of God. And the first one he would tell us, go back with me to verse 20. But you, beloved, who's beloved? We are. I am because we have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. The first thing that Jude would tell us, if we want to be in the love of God, is that we must know the Word of God. Because those people who do not know the Word of God are going to be the ones that are most susceptible to untrue things. We become susceptible to, if it feels good, do it. If it sounds good, believe it. If it appears to work, embrace it. And the truth is there are many things that are taught and many things that sound good than many things that might be associated to Scripture or loosely tied to Scripture or misappropriately tied to Scripture that are not truth. For example, God helps those who help themselves. Yes? Never said that in Scripture. Sounds good, though, doesn't it? Like, man, I'm going to get up today and I'm going to help myself and God's going to help. That's not what the Scripture teaches. The Scripture teaches that while we were sinners, Christ died. He entered into our lives and that He, through the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells us, motivates us to good work. But it's not because we got up and tried to help ourselves. It is because He loves us enough that He died on the cross for us. And He wants to transform us into the likeness of His and image of His Son. That's what it's teaching us. And we need to know that. And, we need, and if we don't know truth, we'll believe a lie. He says, know the words. You're getting your truth from somewhere. You hear me? You are getting your truth. I didn't say the truth. I said you're getting your truth from somewhere. And your truth will shape your worldview. So I want to ask you this morning. When you are looking for truth, where are you finding it? Is it MSNBC? Is it CNN? Is it Fox? Is it some political website? Or is it somebody's opinion? Is it the Dunkin' Donuts when you're sitting there talking with all your buddies about how it used to be? You see, you're getting it. Because you were made with a vacuum for knowledge to understand. And Satan would love to trick you. He would love to trip you up. He would love to take you to a place where you're getting your knowledge from somewhere else. And Jude says to keep yourselves in the love of God. And he says to keep yourselves in the love of God. He said I want you to know, build yourselves up on your most holy faith. 
Go back to verse 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. Jude is using the word faith synonymously with the word. It is through the word that we gain knowledge. It is through the knowledge we increase faith. It is through obedience that we increase our faith. He says, I want you to contend for that faith. He says, I want you to know that faith. Because you're going to be living in a day when people are going to distort that faith. And when they distort it and you believe it because you don't know the truth, it's going to lead you to places that you never thought you would go. So Jude says, I want you to know the faith. I want you to know the word. You see, because this word (laughs) he's talking about. This most holy faith, the unique faith, the holiest faith. It's because the message of the Bible is a unique message. There's no other book in existence that deals with the issues of life like the Bible does. You see, the Bible answers the sin problem. There are a lot of religions that have said this or that, but none of them satisfactorily satisfy or answer the sin problem. Most all of them say, work hard, do better, be more, sacrifice this way, die for this cause, and then you will appease the God. But the Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We had a conversation this morning. It said in the Old Testament that... um, that the priest would enter into the Holy of Holies once a year to cleanse people from their sins. But when you get to the book of Hebrews, it says that Jesus died to take away the sin of the world. Is there a difference between being cleansed from sin and sin being taken away? Yes, the priest would have to go into the temple every year and offer a sacrifice. Hey guys, this is church. And the word that God wants to say to you today will save your soul. And I know we need to get up and walk around a lot, but I'm going to ask you for the next few minutes to not. Just to listen. Because we hear it, we see it every week with the same questions coming from different people but the questions are the same what do I do here is my life this is what is going on and I'm telling you that this book will guide you to the truth that will change your life this book speaks to the sin problem This book tells us that that you are no longer just cleansed from sin, but your sin is taken away by the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ who died on the cross at Calvary. The Greeks called it the kerygma. That Jesus, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, 
died on a cross, was buried in a tomb, and rose again on the third day and ascended to the right hand of the Father so that those who were apart from God and strangers to God could become intimate with God. The Bible addresses the sin problem, but listen to me. The Bible also addresses the life problem. It fixes the relationship issue, but it also fixes the fellowship issue. It instructs us on what is sin. It instructs us on what displeases God and what pleases God. It instructs us what to do with our possessions. It instructs us about what to do with our morals. It instructs us on what to do when we have broken relationships with people. It instructs us on how to come before God and say, forgive me. It instructs us to read the Word. It tells us to come together as the body of Christ. You see, it fixes the sin problem. It fixes the life problem, but it also addresses the death problem, the resurrection and the return of Jesus. I want to tell you, we get the opportunity to attend a lot of funerals. It's in the job description that you will do funerals for people when they ask you. But I want to tell you something. My dad was a coroner. My mother did not like for my dad to be the coroner. She said, Richard, you have to get up all hours of the night and you have to go to all manners of things. And my dad looked at her and said, my mom's name is Mary Dean. Mary Dean, somebody's got to do it. It might as well be me. Well, can I tell you I feel that way about funerals? I enjoy doing funerals. Because that is one time that people are very open to the gospel of Jesus Christ because they want to know where's mama now? Where's daddy now? Where's my husband now? My wife now? Am I going to see them again? Are they really in a better place? And the Bible tells us In 1 Thessalonians, that for those who are in Christ, when Jesus returns, that they're going to rise first, and those who remain will be caught up with them. It answers the death problem. What happens when I die? And when you are in Christ, the Scripture says that you will, for all of eternity, be in His presence. It says that you will be reunited with those who have gone before you. But you hear me. If you don't know the word, when those moments of crisis hit your life, there's going to be despair. We recently did a funeral. A funeral of despair. There were people that could not even sit in the pew because they were weeping and crying uncontrollably. Because they did not have the hope that came from knowing Scripture. And I have to ask you this morning, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Good. Amen. Keep on.
Because that's the hope that we need, that at in season and out of season, in every moment, we can say that Jesus lives in me. He is the hope of my glory. Yes. But you know what I know? Not everybody in this room can say that with that assurance. And if you will know your word, it will guide you safely home. So Jude tells us, in the day of apostasy, beloved, keep in the love of God. And the way, the first way he shows us to keep into the love of God is to know your word. But look what he says next. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, that's knowing the word, he says, pray in the Holy Spirit. Now that's an interesting thing because it doesn't come with one, two, three after it and says this is how you do it. And I want to know. I want to know how to pray in the Holy Spirit. Is praying in the Holy Spirit praying louder than everyone else? I don't think so. Is it praying more passionately than someone else? I don't think so. Is it saying words that make everybody go, man, they know them some Jesus that I don't know because they just rattle four things together that I would have never thought of. I don't think that's praying in the Holy Spirit. I think praying in the Holy Spirit is not for God. I mean, praying loud or passionately or, or eloquently doesn't make us more spiritual, although there's nothing wrong with that. If God is leading you. I think praying in the Holy Spirit. He begins to teach us here. Is this. When you pray. You're talking to God. When you're in the word. God is talking to you. When you pray. God can speak to you. Through the Holy Spirit. What does it mean? Take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans 8. And let's look at Romans 8, 26 and 27. Romans 8, 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit. Now, that's the Holy Spirit. That is God in us. Also helps in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Verse 27 now says, Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. doesn't say anything about the length of your prayer, the eloquence of your prayer, the, the volume of your prayer, the passion of your prayer. But it says that it is praying in the Spirit is an intense yearning to know God. It's coming before Him bare. And saying, Lord, here I am. It's being honest with God about 
what my sin is. It's being honest with God about my attitudes that are not pleasing to Him. And saying, Lord, pour your spirit, pour your will, pour your desire out on me. And the, Holy, and the scripture says that, that when we reach that place and we don't even know what to say anymore. That the Holy Spirit is already making intercession for you. So you see, praying in the spirit is not the words we speak. But it's the surrendered heart that we bring before God. And the words don't make us in the Spirit. And the Spirit gives us the words that we offer up to God. It's that honest moment of failure. When you don't recognize that God could... How God could even tolerate you in His presence. The Holy Spirit is giving, is uttering to Him, Father, He's redeemed by the blood. Father, she's redeemed by the blood. She's been bought with the price of Christ on the cross at Calvary. They are acceptable. They are approved. They're bought with the price. And the Holy Spirit is making those, those groanings, those utterances. Father, forgive them. Father, redeem them. Father, speak into them. And out of the outflowing of that surrendered heart, that broken heart, God begins to give you words. It's like the song, It is well. It is well. It is well with my soul. Was the outflowing of a broken-hearted father who at the moment that he sailed over the spot where his children were killed. And he could not speak the words, but in anguish cried out to God. And God began to pin. When seas, like when they, like sea billows, oh, you know what I'm trying to say. It is well, it is well, it is well with my soul. I miss my children, God, but you ultimately are good and for me, and I trust you. It is well with my soul. Praying in the Holy Spirit. You see, a lot of people misunderstand prayer. Many think that prayer is a way for us to get our will to heaven. No Prayer is the way for God's will to get done on this earth. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we're praying for all of these things where we want God to superimpose our will with his stamp. And what God is saying is, no, I have a will, I have a plan, I have a way. And I want it to be done on earth. I want to use you to do it. He says to pray in the Holy Spirit. He says, look for the Lord's return. In verse 22, go back with me to the book of Jude. He tells us now to keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a decision, a distinction. He says to Keep telling people about Jesus. He says, know the word. He says, 
pray to the God of the Word. And he says, keep telling people about Jesus. And he tells us, keep telling them because some people are in doubt. He says, I want you to make a distinction between those who are adamantly opposed and those who are rightfully confused, who don't understand. And he says, on those people have compassion. When they come to you and say, I don't get it, I don't understand it, you have compassion and you begin to talk to them about it. There are people in South Atlanta who would receive Christ today if some faithful follower would tell them about Jesus. General Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, had one of his ministers, one of his co-workers, write him a letter. He said, General Booth, I've been witnessing and I don't seem to have any luck. And people aren't responding very well to my messages and my invitations. He says, do you have any suggestions? And General Booth wrote back two words. Try tears. When was the last time that you wept over the fact that someone would die from this life? And not enter eternity with God. But would be eternally separated from God in hell. When did you weep? Does it break your heart to know that people who do not know Christ are eternally separated? He says, have compassion on them. The psalmist said, those who sow in tears will doubtless come again, bringing sheaves with him. He says, people are in doubt, verse 23, and save, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. He says, people are in doubt and people are in danger. Some people have made a choice. Their lifestyles, the things that they're choosing, they're choosing to walk away from God. And with those people, it's not just compassion that we have, but we go and we snatch them from the fire. Knowing their eternal destiny. The word there, pull them, means to snatch or to seize. It's a sense of urgency. It is to get them out quickly. John Calvin said, when there's a danger of fire, we hesitate not to snatch away violently whom we desire to save. For it would not be enough to beckon with the finger or kindly stretch forth the hand. So Coach Eric, if I see you in a fire, I'm not going to go. You ought to get out of there. When I was in the seventh grade, my, high, my middle school football coach, his name was Renza Israel, was burning trash out behind our school. And he was using the, uh, the copier fluid. You remember the little thing used to go around and around and you'd smell your test paper because it smelled like that ink? Well, he was using that to start the fire. And he poured it. And about the time he poured it and threw the match, a gust of wind came up, blew the copier fluid back on him. He came running into the gym, flailing, completely consumed with flames. And several of us grabbed him and covered him and patted out the flames with anything that we could find. We didn't wait and go, I wonder if he's going to go out. I wonder if he's getting burned. No. It was a quick and decisive action to save his life. 
But you see, we casually walk by people that we see their lifestyle and their choices and decisions they make are going to send them to hell. And we, we're walking down the street. Boy, that's going to hurt. Stinks to be you. Boy, somebody really ought to go tell them that Jesus can change their life. No, he says, run back and grab them. Because they are going to hell. And the Bible says that hell is a lake of fire where there is no quenching. It is perpetual and ongoing. It is torment and it is torture. And they would beg you for just a drop of water. People are in danger. And he says, watch out. He says, people are in doubt. He says, people are in danger. And people are in defilement. Look at it. And on some have compassion. That's the soft heart that just doesn't know yet. But others save with fear. Pulling them out of the fire. Hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now you've got to understand what that means because that is a reference back to leprosy. Where they would not even want to touch the garments. The, it's the undergarments. It's the things that are touching the skin. Because even if you touch the garment that has touched the skin, then you could contract leprosy. And he's, what he's telling us here is, I want you to go in. I want you to snatch them out. But I want you to be oh so careful because that thing that you're going to try to rescue them from is very dangerous and could pull you in also. He says, do it because people are defiled. Sin is a defiler. Sin is not an oops and an oh no and a, I made a boo-boo. Sin will send you to hell. And he says, these people need to be rescued. Some, compassion. Some, fear. Some, if you go, be careful. Did you read about the mom this week that was cleaning up after her son's overdose, drug overdose? And she was cleaning it up and the drugs that he was using were so powerful that she actually died of an overdose herself. That's what sin will do. It will get you. And it will keep you. And it will make you do things that you thought you were not even capable of doing. How do you wrap this up? In the book of Genesis. When Joseph had been sent to Egypt. The scripture says that what Satan intended for evil, God intended for good. And you kind of know the, the, the story of Joseph's life. He got sold into slavery by his brothers and he had to do some things. And then he rose up to a position of prominence. And then Potiphar's wife 
threw a wrench in that and he wound up in jail and different things happened back and forth and ultimately he reascended to power. When the famine hit the land, Joseph was in a position to save the people of Israel. So when they got down there and they found out that he was alive and that he wasn't going to hurt them, they moved the whole lot of them down there, but they moved them to a land called the land of Goshen. Now, the land of Goshen was a special land. It was the choicest land. It was the circle of protection for the children of Israel while they lived in the land of people who worshipped false gods. They were insulated from false teaching but not isolated from God's protection. Okay? See, what Jude has told us is there are apostates. There are doctrines of apostasy. You're going to be living there. He says, what I want you to do is to create a land of Goshen, a circle of protection. And what is that? That circle of protection is you know the Word of God. That circle of protection is that you continually pray without ceasing, calling on God to be your help and your strength in times. Other places he would say your land of Goshen is are other believers that you've come together with and said, you know what? Court of three strands is not easily broken. There are going to be days that I'm weak and I'm tired and I don't know what to do. And we're going to run beside him and we're going to say, I'm going to hold your arms up. I'm going to walk with you. That land of protection is realizing that there are people who are perishing and that we need to run and to grab them and to say, Jesus is the answer. Kathy, Jesus can give you hope. Jesus can turn a life around. The worst thing that we can do is to be apathetic. The worst thing that we can do is to think it won't affect me. Oh, it will. So today, do you know Christ is your Savior? I didn't say, did you know that Jesus is a Savior? I asked the question, is Jesus your Savior? Are you born again? Have you accepted the sacrifice of the one who came to take away the sin of the world? If not, in just a moment we're going to have a a unique opportunity to respond to God and you can call to Him and say, Jesus, my sin separates us. Your blood unites us. I want the blood. And He redeems us. Are you the prodigal Christian? The relationship is secure. But the fellowship is lacking. Has your prayer turned into 
your kingdom come, but my will be done? Or is it your kingdom come, thy will be done? You see, I was blessed with a mom that taught me things. And one of the things she taught me was there was only one throne and there could only be one king. And that king was either going to be God or that king was going to be Chris. And I've understood it and I've lived it and I've understood it and I've thumbed my nose at it. I know the difference between the two. I know the peace that passes understanding when the heart is surrendered and I know the anguish that rips the soul when I have been the one sitting on the throne. In just a moment, we're going to have a unique opportunity. Where we can pack up our belongings and we can run from the pig pen and we can start running towards the Father. And the moment you take that first step, you're going to look up and go, wow, you are running to me all the time. 